بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم discussion and um, exploration of the issue of, of language and how profound and how um, immensely uh, dangerous and powerful uh, the human being's uh, uh, facility for language is. It is at once our, both our biggest blessing and strength and our biggest curse. It is clearly a blessing because um, it enables me to take that which is in me and transfer it into you. I <clears throat> I pass air through my mouth and slap my lips together and make certain movements with my tongue and I voice this and you have an image of, uh, of a duck in your head so I take the duck that's in my head and I put it in your head this is, ex this is miraculous there's no other species as far as we know that can do that this is an extraordinary gift and um, if it doesn't stop with ducks, as we know, I can pass from my head into yours um, a whole ream of text. So this is an immense gift that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us. He's given us the ability to produce a whole new universe. And it is a new universe. It's not, it operates obviously in parallel with the universe that we're in. But right now you can sit in this room and you can close your eyes and have an imagination of sitting in a room in Pretoria and you can describe the room to me and I can picture myself in the same room. So you can reproduce in me a second world. So it's an immense gift. The gift that allows us to transfer what's inside us to outside us, to somebody else. <clears throat> and not only to outside us, but so far as we can translate it or speak to somebody else, it is in language that we lay, lay, lay our plans. If you, if you, uh, if you work out, you, you want to build a house, then the dimensions that you build the house in are all, it's all caught up in words, it's all in language. The problem with this, the downside of this blessing, is that the world that we create with language is very convincing. <clears throat> It is so convincing that we uh, 
we sometimes mistake it for what's real. So in the first instance, <coughs> um, if I could have a perfectly good day. In fact, this happened to me very recently. I can have a perfectly good day. I could have a wonderful day, ecstatic day. The sun is, is brilliant. The, the sky is, uh, is turquoise blue. The clouds are brilliantly white. Um, I can feel... I can feel the dhikr of Allah in my heart. I em embrace the horizon. I am on top of it all. And then I reflect on a dispute I had with somebody else. And suddenly, all of the good feeling of what it felt like to be in my own skin disappears. I start to feel anxious. I, I'm, I'm distracted. Somebody talks to me and I'm not giving them attention. I found it almost impossible to give them attention. Um, I feel on edge. I feel my body's behaving like there's a lion in the room. There isn't a lion in the room, but I've just convinced my body that there's a lion in the room. So what we have to understand is that this, this realm that we create with our language, we experience as real. We don't experience this as fictitious. And more often than not, what's really sad is that the, the realm, the world that we create for ourselves in our internal dialogue is actually quite unpleasant. It's not at all a wonderful place to inhabit. I mean, most of us, sitting underneath our experience of things, is a sense of outrage. It's sometimes very subtle, but it's a sense of this is it's wrong. The world is wrong. The country is wrong. The politics are wrong. My wife is wrong. It's wrong. Disapprove. Now that disapproval has an effect. I mean, obviously, it has a physical effect on the outside. If I look at you and you're busy disapproving, I'll see it in your mouth. It'll turn down. Why is your mouth turning down? Because what you have in your mouth is a bitter taste. <clears throat> you actually make your own body an unpleasant place to be in. No wonder it tries to leave you eventually. Can I push you actually with a heart attack? Or This is a miserable character. It just makes me upset all the time. Keeps on convincing me there's a lion in the room. <laughs> I go into a panic and there's no lie. It's a perfectly good day. How many times if you if you've had had a distressing day, you've had a day where you that's made you like somewhat unhappy. You finish the day at the end of the day, you think back on the day. You know, how many of the actual things that happened to you were could legitimately cause you unhappiness. And there might be one or two things, but the rest are perfectly good. The coffee you had was fine. The egg you ate was brilliant. Um, the cat came and, brushed, I mean, came and brushed your leg. I mean, 90% of it, 99% of it is absolutely amazing. And then you find the one thing to make you miserable, and you make that the reality of the day. And that's how we are. We keep our grievances alive. 
we keep our grievances alive in our internal dialogue, we don't realize how unpleasant it makes the, uh, us to be ourselves. How unpleasant it makes, us to, makes it to be in our own skin. One of the one of the problems of the, <clears throat> I mean, the principal problem of the language and the story we keep on repeating to ourselves is that it's so it's more often than not a story of victimhood. We've been done in in some way. And you know, if you think about it, you will find evidence of having been done in in any given day. Because being done in, the assumption if you're not done in is that you. You, you were, every single thing that you did solicited perfect reciprocity. Now that's impossible. It's impossible that the world will mirror, act for act, what you do. And so you will, by, by tea time in the morning, you'll have enough evidence to conclude that the world is miserable. Because I smiled at him, he didn't smile back. You know, he's so awful. Uh, I offered him tea. He didn't say thank you. He's, you know. So, so, so because, we, because we're walking through our lives with this, these scales all the time, and we're applying the scales in every, in, you know, moment by moment, we very quickly we, we develop the evidence to give us perfectly just cause for this, this ongoing discourse in our head of, of disgruntlement to continue. You know, in the Middle Ages, if somebody had leprosy, they'd have to walk around with a big sign around their neck, ringing a bell. And if they walked through the village, they'd have to shout, unclean, unclean, and the people would flee from that person. Because this person was poisoned. However, the real leprosy, the leprosy that eats your soul, never mind your body, your internal dialogue, they don't require us to walk around the village with a sign around our neck saying, unclean, ringing a bell. We walk around the village and we, we spread our disease with gay abandon because our sense of moral outrage at the lack of reciprocity in the world, as soon as I'm convinced I've been done in, I've got to find somebody else to agree with me. So you know what happened to me yesterday? <laughs> you know this guy. Or that guy. Do you know what he did to me? And so I've, taken just, I've just taken the poison in my head and I've put it into your head. So now there's two of us who have a miserable experience of being in our own skin. And if I do this well, if I use this incredible gift that Allah gave me, which is the ability to speak, if I do it well, I convince you. I convince you to the point that you'll go and solicit Abu Qadr. And he'll go and recruit uh, Nadim. And before you know it, we all, the whole village is unclean. Why is it that gossip has, is considered to be such such a poisonous thing. To speak ill of somebody. <clears throat> it is because 
you are reproducing misery in the head of the person you're talking to. <clears throat> so not only is it miserable to be yourself, you now make it miserable for him to be him. One of the... Um, if you've been following the discourse on the Zawiya Facebook page in, over the week, there's been a lot of th issues that have come up around the issue of communication, which is why I wanted to wrap up with this tonight, because it seemed appropriate. But there was a wonderful Hajj Ahmad from America. Um, he could have put a quote from Sayyidina Ali, which is really profound. And Sayyidina Ali said something like, you've got to treat your words like gold and silver. While you haven't spoken them, they're precious commodities. If you once they've left your mouth, they're in the world forever, and you can't bring them back. So you must be very careful with what you say, and you must consider what you say. You be very reflective about what you say, and be very careful how you flap your mouth. You can flap your mouth saying silly inanities, that's fine, but do not speak about other people. Do not speak ill about other people, no matter how legitimate your issue is. The, it's, so, 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 so I have a legitimate gripe with, um, with Fawaz, but let's assume he's in Singapore. He's not in this room. The harm done by me poisoning somebody else's experience of being in this room now, by me sp speaking about Fawaz, is a thousand times more bad than anything he might have done. Because I'm poisoning you now. Um, but that's, that's saying what, that, I mean, in a sense, what that's saying is what you shouldn't do with language. But what we didn't explore is what you should do with language. You know, what does this thing make possible? What does speech makes, make possible? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made us to worship Him. He made us to witness that he, there is a creative genius in charge, that it is extraordinary, it's incomprehensible, it is overflowing, it is vastly generous, incalculably kind and merciful, uh, powerful beyond human capacity. Um, that's what he's made us to do. He made, he's made us the ones who witness that and to bear witness to that. Bearing witness means testimony, by definition, and it means something you say. But now what you have to understand is that this bearing witness isn't just making a noise in Arabic. It means... When you engage somebody, the thought that you, you have a responsibility to leave in their head is the conviction that Allah is real and that life has meaning and that it is not all arbitrary 
and that there is a custodial, merciful Lord in charge of this apparent horror show of existence. That's what you should be doing with your language. And anything that's related to that. You see, Allah set up our senses in such a way that we only experience the world through, through separation, through distinction. So, my skin tells me I'm, ex- I'm separate from the world. My vision tells me things exist as objects. So my senses are set up in such a way that I experience things as objects. That's not true. Things don't exist as objects. Things don't exist as discrete individual things. Things exist as like, I mean, in a sense, you're no different from a drop in an ocean. You're you're one with the rest of existence. What is the tool that enables you to escape the illusion that you exist as a separate being? It is language. It is by language that you can abstract yourself from day-to-day experience and work things out. It is because you can remember, but you know, if I, you know, if I, um, if I consider what I'm made up of, there's nothing that I'm made up of that comes from my own body. But for that, I've got to, I've got to have, I have, I've got to, I've got to have the tools to, to, to understand what I'm made up of. I've got to have a word for water. I know I don't manufacture water; it comes from other than me. I've got to have a word for that. So my, what language gives me is the toolage, whereby I can stand out of my apparent existence as a material being and see how connected I am with everything else. So language is not just a tool for bearing witness. Language is a tool for witnessing. So the, the, bearing in mind that this thing that the, of this tongue of ours is, is, is an immensely dangerous weapon that causes ourselves and, the, and people around us immense misery, do not forget it is our biggest blessing. It is the two whereby we can escape the exile of the nightmare of living as individuals. It's the two that gives us the, the ability to abstract ourselves from our day-to-day experience so that we can see that we're part of something bigger than ourselves. It is also the two whereby we can transfer a thought into another person's head, which is a thought of comfort. Uh, the thought that makes them pleasant to be in their own body. I mean, surely, if you have a, an insight that I don't have to look after myself because there's a guardian lord in charge of my life, that my life has meaning, it has a design which is beyond, then I feel then it's pleasant to be me. It's pleasant to be in my own skin. Whereas if I keep on telling myself that this, 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 this life is unjust and it's all miserable, then it's unpleasant to be in my own skin. So if I put a thought in your head, I can put a thought in your head that makes it pleasant to be in your own skin.
May Allah grant us newness to him. Amen. May grant us annihilation in him. Amen. May grant us death before we die. In Allah, اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد عبدك ورسولك نبينا محمد وصحبه وسلم تسليما سبحان ربك رب العزه عما يصفون والسلام عليكم الحمد لله الحمد لله thank you very much for your patience